0: Finally, feeling better. It's just like my energy levels. I gotta I gotta conserve it until we get on air.
1: And then I'm ready to go. What a showman.
0: It's all about conserving the energy.
1: Is you it? know? You conserve the energy, and then when light comes on, you just go. Yeah, but that is like, it's like fake. It's not fake. It's, no, it's like you're like just, just moping around. And all of a sudden, oh, I'm like, not moping. I'm just... <laughs> lights are on. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm sad. What are you doing?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, we'll get into it on this pod because. Is the optimism running out? Does it seem that way? I don't know. I'm just trying to battle daylight <laughs> savings time here. <laughs>
1: Why is it so hard? Daylight savings? Well, we went ahead an hour. So, th- oh, you know. w- did we? I mean, Thank you. Thanks for explaining. Spring uh, forward. This is uh,
0: the s- m- the sat analytics you tune into the show for.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> Statyar Shaw with the facts. No, Ready no, to there's, go? There the we go. Now I'm jacked. So up. we
1: were just just so everyone knows we <sighs> were sitting around. Mm. Just sat in his phone. He's like, "Oh, I'm like you're not eating it today." He's like, "Oh, I'm just, oh, I'm just a little tired. All tired. But I'm tired. I'm sleepy. I've <laughs> <laughs> had just back to back. I'm not feeling good. It's, no, I'm you know, feeling my, fine. So I don't get many days off. But once that light <laughs> comes on, once once I feel the heat from the lights, I'm ready to go. It
0: inspires me. The light, the red light of being on air, inspires me to try." <laughs> <laughs> should we get that going? That was convincing. Yeah, uh, should we get going?
1: Sure, let's do it. This is the Canucks Pod with Satyar Shah and
0: Alex Ald. Welcome to this week's edition of the Canucks Pod, Satyar Shah with Alex Ald and Aldi. Uh, the sky seems to be falling a little bit for the Vancouver Canucks. They had a strong December, halfway through December and January. Then February well wasn't too kind and they're coming off a very disheartening loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets. So number 1, uh, where are you at with your optimism from when it comes to this team cuz fans are grasping for it at this point.
1: Well, just like your energy level, I'm trying to keep it high. <laughs> but it's we good. We good. Yeah, it, you know, I don't know. I feel like Friday night, good effort against uh, Colorado, good result, able to get some goals. But overall, there's just – well, I I don't even know if it's inconsistency because they've actually been consistently not great, Mm -hmm. you know, the last little stretch here. And they've been really good at responding most of this season. They've been able to bounce back and sort of prevent – extended free falls in the standings but this one this one seems a little bit scary and it's mostly because of the injuries as well like is there anyone coming back soon enough that it's going to help is it going to be able to save this season and you've got some other teams around them who are picking up ground you look at like Minnesota was dead in the water a couple weeks ago and all of a sudden they're right there like there's there's more teams in the mix in the hunt too and that that lead that they had is completely evaporated
0: well the cushion is gone and now you're touch and go to make the playoffs it's it's a pretty much a 50-50 proposition at this point I've been pretty steadfast the whole time that they're going to be a playoff team they'll make it in and I'm not going to stop that today but I'm at the point now where I mean if you don't win on Tuesday against the Islanders and you lose a couple more games in a row, you might be cooked. Because as soon as you have to go like nine and two or like eight and three to make the playoffs, that's when it's not going to happen.
1: Well, you're right. So they're still in a situation I think where they, for the most part, control yeah. their destiny. But they control their destiny by doing really well, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, outside of that, you've got, like I said, they've got other teams doing well around them. You've you've got a get some points here you got to pick up points you got to get some points in games you don't play your best you absolutely need to win games when you've got a team and this is the thing too like you look at columbus that game against columbus at home on sunday blue jackets come in they played the night before in edmonton as as you know we can see under the as the from the bags under your eyes daylight savings time is tough right (laughs) so not only like did they it's a late start in edmonton because it's hockey night Mm. so it's eight o'clock start in alberta fly to Vancouver and then you don't even gain the hour you normally would because you've lost it somehow mysteriously in the night. Some farmers got to work. (laughs) Something happened. So like all of a sudden you're like, man, and then you you can't muster up enough jam to win that game. Like that, to me, those are points you got to have in the game, like in, in, in the moment and Columbus steps up and they play well. Like I, it's, I don't, it's not necessarily like execution in the moment. It's more big picture when you look at it. You're like, you've you've got to find a way to get points in those games. Those are like, when you're going to look back, those are going to be really tough points to not have uh, in, in your pocket. And I'm sure there's some other games like that this year. You've got to get those sort of, not gimme points. Every point is hard. But just in terms of the standings, when it sets up well for you on the schedule, you got to grasp it.
0: Well, and you can't let a team like Columbus, which you mentioned was playing back-to-backs, and also all the injuries they have. And we sit here and talk about the Canucks. And listen, Columbus hasn't won a ton of games or past 15. They've lost way more than they've won, but they're trying hard. And the thing that really got me more than anything last night was in the third period, you're down 2 nothing. Columbus is a tired team. You expect them to be a little, you know, behind the eight ball in the third period. And they're the ones that were taking it to the Canucks. I want to see more urgency, Aldi. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine if you lose... Sometimes that's how the game goes, it's random. But when we don't have that urgency in critical moments, that's when we start questioning. It's easy to say the heart and the desire of the team, but the maturity to handle the situation and handle the moment and still be able to bring the best out of yourself.
1: Well, what Columbus has that the Canucks lack is structure. Mm-hmm. And so when, when they're tired, when things aren't going their way, they go back to that, and it works for the most part. It gives you... It gives you the opportunity to stay in those games, stay able to win tight games. Um, and, and that's where Vancouver, like if, if the game isn't easy for Vancouver, and I, I, this isn't a sort of are the Canucks soft type of uh, scenario. This In my mind, it's like if they're not clicking, there's games mm-hmm. when you have it. You're, you're feeling it. Uh, your, your decision-making is bang on. Your passes are on point. Everything's working. Those games, the Canucks look phenomenal when that is a little bit off when the passes aren't right on the tape maybe maybe the the structure they do have in terms of close support isn't just perfect that's when they get into trouble and and then when they are forced to play an even more perfect game because they're playing against a team with good structure that's when they they really seem to sort of fall apart or they just can't generate offense and and we saw that uh, against Columbus Sunday night that when they tightened it up when the jackets did that they just got they got tighter they got more st- Discipline within their structure, the Canucks just weren't able to even generate shots, let alone scoring chances, and that's something where. And then it goes back the other way too, because then their defense gets a Mm. little bit sloppy because they start pressing a little bit and they're not. It's just a weird thing where they just they're they're D zone and where they're picking up where they're not. It's just guys wide open in the slot putting in you know almost tap in goals, especially at this level. Those are tough ones to stop for the goalie, and it all just sort of plays hand in hand there.
0: Well. One of the things that I've noticed too, I think overall the connect structure has been a lot better the past four or five games. And When you look at the totality of the 60 minutes yeah. they've played, yeah. they've done a better job in limiting some chances against. They're playing a lot better. But the issue I found, and I saw it on two separate plays which led to goals against the Blue Jacks in the second period. As soon as one guy gets out of structure, it falls apart because they can't read the rotations. So it's one thing to be in the right spot where everybody's in their same spot and you're like, okay, well that guy is where he needs to be. The other guy's where he needs to be. I'm where I need to be. But as as soon as they're forced to think on the fly, because one person missed an assignment or one person made a mistake, their rotations are off. Like that play where Stetcher. Um, was slow to react because Edler kind of took himself out of the play was because he wasn't sure about what to do. And even with Bull Horvat, and those two players, one, Horvat overcommits because he feels like he's going to leave the center of the ice open. And then Troy Stetcher, instead of taking away the slot, goes back to take away the cross-scene pass, which makes sense in theory. But in that moment, you have to read that play better. And even on the second goal at the end of the second period, Antoine Rousseau, I don't know what he's doing. He gets out of position. Next thing you know, the other guys can't rotate. They're fine when they're in position. As soon as one guy leaves, they can't recover. And to me, that's either confidence or individual issues or processing what to do in critical times.
1: I'm glad you brought up the second Columbus school. I, I've, everyone jumped on and, and followed along that it was Roussel's fault. I I watched that play. It, I'm not sure. It's There must have called a switch at some point where mm-hmm. Godet would have been the low guy and ended up Roussel jumped in there. Where is Roussel supposed to be there? What do you think? I don't know if you can picture it. We don't have a monitor in front of you, but why why is Roussel supposed to be up above the hash marks on that guy? Well, it's to take away the middle of the ice more than anything, isn't it? But there was a guy wide open in front. Because right. so this is the this is the thing, right? Like every yes, that's Roussel's guy and to you're right on your point about when it breaks down they can't mm-hmm. figure out what to do. And that's Roussel's guy or the center's guy, whoever the low forward is in support. And in the NHL, that's very interchangeable. They, and and you're, it's, it's smart to change depending based on who's closest. And that means the center maybe has to play up on the point and cover the winger's position and the, the winger drop down low. The thing that I saw, though, was is that Quinn Hughes, has the he's on the player. He's man mm-hmm. on man. He's stick on puck on the guy going behind the net. And then as soon as that guy skates behind the net, Tyler Myers jumps in on it. Yeah, him. they both end so up both the So then both Myers side, yeah. and Hughes are behind the net. So then Roussel's caught in no man's land because mm-hmm. he's like, well, that's my guy, but there's a guy wide open right on top of the crease for a tap-in. What do I do? And so he's kind of caught in between, which I get that, yeah, the high guy who scores, that's that's his guy. But at the same time, if he goes and stands up by him and holds his hand and the guy at the net front taps it in, you're everyone's going to be ripping him t- for that too. So it, a lot of it is... Once you get out of position, if you're, if you're traditionally a winger and you're not used to playing down low in that center, sort of traditional center coverage position, then it, it's harder to have those quick reads. But we're seeing those misreads time and time again. To me, if, I, if that's me playing, and again, hey, the, the game happens so quick. And, and we also don't know, maybe they've reviewed video in, in terms of when the D are supposed to make those switches. I do know this, though. If I'm on the ice with Quinn Hughes, And he's skating on a guy, I just let that guy skate. I'm gonna just stand here Mm -hmm. in front. And I'm not gonna go chasing again. And and I to me I see it where not again, not knowing what maybe the the directive is from the coaching staff in terms of the D zone coverage. When I look at that play, I'm like, Tyler Myers shouldn't have jumped in, even though the the puck transitions to his side of the ice. Quinn Hughes is on him and he's the one of the best skaters in the league. Just Just let let him stay with that guy. And at the very least, the puck's got to come back through the space that I'm occupying for it to go in the net. Um, and then and then Roussel gets caught in a bad spot because he's sort of like, well, who do I go to? And and oftentimes, and, and you mentioned the first goal too, where it's like, you know, in, in theory what Stetcher did was right, but you got to read the play. Some games when you're feeling it and when you're confident and when you're doing well, like everything's going well for you those reads those instincts just happen and it's like man like I kind of got lucky but I could I knew he was passing here or I knew he was doing this and and so I I I jumped that play because my anticipation but as soon as that starts to fall apart and you start to doubt what everyone else is doing then your instincts don't you don't trust them and everything doesn't rotate as quickly and it becomes really difficult to defend and that's where to me it's, it's whether it's a lack of structure from the top like whether the, the it's clear messaging from the coaching whether it's the the players on the ice not being able to execute fast enough make those decisions like i don't know what it is But it's obvious it isn't working right now. And it goes back to trust because Travis Green postgame did mention that
0: Myers shouldn't have jumped the way he did when Hughes was falling in behind the net. They both end up on the same side. And then you're right. Antoine Roussel gets caught in no man's land. And is that a lack of trust in each other as far as the system goes? Is it, as you mentioned, coaching, not getting that message through? Or are some players simply not smart enough when it comes to the hockey IQ of playing at their own end? I mean, there, there are three different factors here, yeah. and it's hard for us to be the outside. It could be, all of them. It could be a yeah. bit of everything.
1: It, it's again, like we don't know. But to me, it's it's oftentimes. It's often the opposite of what we think, and what I would say is it's probably guys just wanting to do too much. Mm-hmm. And like I've spent two weeks talking about that with Thatcher Demko, especially early on in this stretch without Markstrom, where he was pressing a little bit maybe. And that, and again, that's just my experience looking at the situation. Being like, this is this is what can tend to happen when you get thrown into it, and you're in a situation where you really need wins. You need oh, like I'm close. I can I can do the job. I can do it. And, that, and to me, that's what Myers is doing. It's not because Myers is a jerk or he's an idiot or any of that. It's just him wanting to do maybe a little bit more than he needs to do because mm-hmm. he wants to stop the play and get it going the other way. And oftentimes just just less is more. That's one of the, the big keys. But it, it's it's difficult at this time of year, and this is where we're going to see uh, some things will be exposed about the Canucks. And I don't mean exposed in a bad way. Maybe it will be bad, but it'll, it'll come to light some guys where they're at in their development, where they're at in being able to manage expectations, manage the situation, manage this time of year. It is a difficult time of year to get wins in the National Hockey League. Everyone, everyone talks about it, how it ramps up. It, it really picks up after you know, All-Star break, Olympic break, whatever year it is. Like, the games late February and into March, they really start to ratchet up. And you're starting to see now where the Canucks have this adjustment period. Mm-hmm. And they've got to figure it out in a hurry or else they're going to be on the outside watching.
0: I can appreciate guys like Pedersen who haven't been through a push like this and dealing with the emotions and learning to some degree how to lose and how to not let that get you down too much and in certain moments not getting too frustrated. He scored a beautiful goal against the Columbus Blue Jackets like a bat out of hell shot out of a cannon when he came out of the penalty box to score. It was beautiful and he talked about how angry he was and he channeled that anger in the right way. But it was a process for him. What's disappointed me the most the past few games, Aldi, is guys that you expect to do better in critical moments because they've been there. Whether it's, hey, Myers and Roussel, we just talked about. Whether it's Edler and guy like Stetcher who's played, uh, you know, almost 300 games now, getting closer to that aspect of it. things. And going back to that game in Columbus where Roussel took a bad penalty, Brandon Sutter gets caught up uh, making a mistake. I mean, these are guys who are getting paid a lot of money and have been brought in to be the guys to show how to win late in the season. And they're the ones that have been letting them down too. So that's where my frustration kind of gets doubled on this because the guys you're hoping can teach these guys to make the right plays at the right moment to handle the last stretch of the season properly. Well, they're not coming through the way you had hoped.
1: No, but they're they're providing a shining example of what not to do. (laughs) Yes, no, absolutely, (laughs) right? No, I I get it. I mean, it's but all all those guys you named, are they? I never won. So don't take this the wrong way. But it's not like they're a bunch of champions. No, they're not. They're not a bunch of guys who's like, oh, this guy's got four cups. He's going to come in and, you know, lead the way. Everybody has flaws. And and I know people are going to point to their contracts. They're going to point to, well, this guy is making a ton of money and should be able to do this or whatever it may be. Like, at the end of the day, that's the market in that situation. And yes, that's a decision made by the general manager and and his staff in terms of who they're going to bring in. And part of it is showing the ropes. But at the same time, if... Your most important players are young. There will always be an inexperience factor there in terms of being able to close it out, seal the deal. But lots of experienced teams at some point run into these types of problems as well. It is part of the the factor that every team is desperate and trying to win at this time of year. But I agree with you that you, you want to see more poise. You want to see, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to reading the play and simple defensive zone coverage assignments and rotations, that should be more automatic for the veterans on this roster, and and that is proving to be pr- problematic. And we saw it on on two occasions. And and you look at it, and you're like, oh well, those are those. There's only two like that, and and I don't. It wasn't like they were bleeding scoring chances yeah. all night, but at this this time of year, one or two chances can, are the difference, right? And if you're if you're a team like Columbus that's really good at winning one goal games, I think they've got nine nine wins in one goal games or something like that. They, the, yeah. Nine wins in uh, those types of games. And the Canucks, that's not their forte, right? When they win, it's really impressive and really fun. And everyone goes home drunk because they scored <laughs> six goals right. like Friday, right? But or, but when they don't, it's like, oh, okay.
0: They have trouble against teams that are well-structured. Yeah. We've seen this throughout this season because yep. their discipline isn't as good as it needs to be. And, yes, mistakes happen in every game, but there are certain basic mistakes That shouldn't be happening to the degree they happen. And those scoring chances, like the Bemstrom one, I mean, he's four feet away from the net. He's going to score that. I mean, it's one thing to make a couple mistakes and a guy gets a decent scoring chance, but it's another when you give him a legitimate 10 out of 10 scoring chance.
1: Leaving guys wide open in front is... It's that's, basic. That's, that shouldn't be
0: happening. It's a no-no. Right? It's it, frowned upon well, at every yes, level. It, it is very much <laughs> frowned upon. And this leads me into the next thing because as much as I understand the frustration with Louis Erickson finding himself on the second line and, hey, why is Bull Horvat being used as a sh- as a shutdown guy? Well, it goes back to we just what we just mentioned. The guys in that bottom six... Now, Godet and Zach McKeown are young, progressing. They're just not ready yet to handle a shutdown role because they're they're just not adept yet at the two-way game, and that can come with time. A lot of upside for both players, especially Adam Goddett. Offensively, Goddett has taken a big step. Defensively, it's still a work in progress. So you can't count on them being a shutdown line yet. And quite frankly, you can just tell by the usage Travis also doesn't trust guys like Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter to carry a line and be a shutdown line. They can deal with some tough defensive assignments at times that take defensive zone draws, but the reason Bo Hormat's being leaned on to this degree with Pearson and Erickson is because that's the only option they have to try to stem the tide as a shutdown line. I think they'd love to have a third line that can go out there and win those matchups and take some pressure off the top six, but it doesn't exist on this team right now.
1: It doesn't, and they're <laughs> It's funny because I've been listening to this this discussion the last day or two as well, and it, it's it's one of those things where everyone everyone wants everything to be so black and white, right? Like they want it to be so definitive in terms mm-hmm. of why if this or that. And think about the other team's top players and how much they're going to play, like. When is there time for Bo Horvat to play? If not against them, like I get it, a lot of really good teams. Yeah, their their third line can do that can do that because they're really good teams and they have three really good lines. Like the Canucks aren't there, especially with their health. So, and the other factor is Bo Horvat can skate, so he can keep up with other teams' horses. And you you'd rather him be on the ice for those 20 minutes, then not like it's, it's one of those things where, and, and then the other argument, like people are just clamoring for, for Erickson to be off the second line. And I agree. Like it's, if you look at it as a traditional, like offensive type of role, I get it. I get the argument, but it's not just like everyone thinks, well, Jake's showing he's ready. Maybe Jake's showing that he can support and help God at yeah. maybe Jake's showing that other people need him. And like, Erickson with another center doesn't do anything, but well, Erickson doesn't. with Horvat at least does something. And I, I'm not justifying his $6 million. Don't get me wrong, but like there's, there's a four line balance to it all. And when you have health issues and when you have an imperfect roster, you're constantly having to try and fiddle with it. And that isn't, that isn't, it's not always right. The coach isn't always going to write, make a right decision, but, Oftentimes there's something like the complete opposite going on to what you assume. And oftentimes in a with a with a locker room and a lineup like that, it, it you it can be like that. And you, so you've got you usually have your pairs of guys you like together and and Horvat and, and Pearson seem fairly tied together right now. And so they're trying to find who's the right fit on that right side, and it changes within games, absolutely. But you you need somebody who can play in the role that Horvat's being deployed in. And the reason, this is the reason it drives people nuts is because it's so closely tied to Erickson being on that line. And that just makes people want to pull their hair out. But the reality is, is that Erickson further down the lineup doesn't help you either because then that those lines become way too slow. And, And you don't, and so this is, this is the problem the Canucks have. And this is where you want to continue to see them draft in the right way, but you also want to see them in their pro scouting. They can't skate. No. They don't skate well enough. They don't have enough natural skaters. You've got Quinn Hughes, who's off the charts, and you've got Elias Pettersson, who can skate, and Bo Horvat, who's worked like a dog to become a really good NHL skater. But you've got a lot of guys who can't move as well as you need to in today's game. Mm-hmm. And that is an issue because you go up against some teams, and you know as much as the, the Canucks really value a guy like Tyler Mott for his skating, other teams, every forward can skate like that, right? Yeah. And 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 the Canucks are in the situation where that's not the case. And so you and this is this goes back to my earlier point. about when the Canucks aren't really dialed in and they're not super sharp, their skating gets exposed. Their speed goes down because all of the Canucks' speed outside of a couple of individuals is based on playing the game quickly and executing well. And as soon as that execution goes down, then they slow right down. And they become easy to read, easy to pounce on. There's far more turnovers, and all those things go sideways. So it's, it's, it's more holistic than just one right winger on Bo line. There's more to it than that. It, it
0: absolutely is. And when Brock Besser gets healthy and comes back – and more to argue, it, more to
1: fight about. Well, there will because that's going to be that's going to be. be a, that's gonna be a that, it's going to be a fascinating decision.
0: I do think though um, that as much as there's a sentiment, and it's not wrong, that Travis wants to see better defensive play from a guy like Jake Vartanian, who's having a career season offensively, yep. defensively. You're seeing um, a lot of breakdowns and not knowing where to be and what to do, which put, makes it hard for the coach to put him in a shutdown role or playing on that line because. Their whole job is to try to slow down the other team's top lines. And if he can't hang defensively when he's out there against guys like McKinnon, it makes it hard for the coach to play well, him there. Who, who, and as much who, as who can? No, exactly, right? But it's just one of those things. Um I still think that if all things stay equal and Besser comes back, Erickson comes out of the lineup. Because it goes back to what you mentioned. Yeah. They'd rather hold on to Jake's speed in the bottom six, and you can shelter him a little bit and not put him out in tough situations and use his team speed to help help your team speed with him being there. And I think Besser belongs in the top six, and I do think they want to get that offensive push coming in again. You can easily put Besser back with Miller and Pedersen, put Toffoli with Pearson and Horvat, and have a legit top six. And as much as people are concerned about Erickson holding onto that spot when Besser comes back, I think Besser should go back to that spot. And if I'm guessing,
1: I believe Erickson comes out of the lineup. Well, I, I would agree with that in terms of, of Louis coming out. I, I look at it that, too, like if you were to, let's before Besser comes back, go back to your point about whether Vertanen should be up higher in the lineup and it's sheltering him and all. If Jake's up and he's, he has, he'll have to really focus on playing defense. His offense will go away. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden his career offensive year isn't helping you. And night to night, some nights he'll, he'll do well. I think in that defensive role, some nights he'll struggle. It'll be matchup based and it'll be, and that's to be expected. So, why it's it's why put the pressure on him to be defensive when he's showing he can be offensive with on yeah. another line? Like all of a sudden when he's on the third line, you have a third line that can score. You have some speed too, and, and you have speed, yeah. and they play dynamically together like mm-hmm. quite well, and it and it's effective. So you and and all of a sudden if you have Horvat and and if he can play evens against the t- other team's top line, and you have a third line that can outscore most other team's third line, like. That offset ratio works for me. I, I like it. I like the idea of putting Besser back with Peterson and Miller. It is, it'll be a comfort spot for mm-hmm. him, and it'll. I think it'll be something that'll energize that trio. Not that Peterson and Miller need a ton of energizing, but the, you know, it'll just be a spark. But I also like the fact that you know, Toffoli, Pearson have a history. Fine, that's great. But is a little bit more accomplished defensively, I think, than than Brock Besser. And so you 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 remove some of the pressure of Besser having to be the as good defensively because of all the D zone starts against the other team's top lines when he's just coming back into the lineup. And, and uh, last night on the second intermission, um, Ian McIntyre. So this is Sunday night. Ian McIntyre's on with Dan Murphy and that he spelled that out. Nice. I thought I agreed with him hundred percent. I didn't agree with him ripping Roussel for that one goal, but I agreed with him in terms of uh, that, the lineup because it, it makes sense to kind of just work that out. And, and to your point about how, You end up with a legit top six, and then you probably actually end up with three lines that can score because Vertanen slotted where he probably should be. And I'm not saying he won't one day be a top six guy, and it's not a knock on Jake. He's worked hard to improve, and he's becoming effective. That doesn't mean he's consistent enough to be in the top six every night or even that that's what's best for the team, for him to be in the top six every night. And I do think that speed you can use – creatively in that
0: bottom six and that will come in handy. So I hope he stays in the lineup uh, when Besser comes back and as much as I agree with Ian's point and your point in general that Toffoli makes more sense on the second line because he's more uh, experienced defensively I do think Besser has improved defensively this season. I do think it's been one of the more underrated aspects of his game. 100% agree you know? but do you and want him
1: to come back in no, with and injury and that be like okay now you got to shut down. No
0: you're right and I think early on you put him with but I do like the idea and here's you know let be optimistic for a second that once you get those guys healthy and rolling, you have a top six that's legit. And whether you have Bester with Miller and Patterson or you have Bester on the second line, it's really not a bad option. We're talking yes. about what could be better, not what is bad. It's like good to great and really good. And those are the three variations I think you can see. But I do think once Bester gets going and feels good, I actually like the idea of him taking some time with Horvat and with Pearson defensively. One thing I mentioned, but I also think one of the more underrated aspects of Besser's game is his playmaking, his anticipation, his patience with the puck. And we know that Horvath's not a great playmaker. Pearson's really good along the walls, down low player, can make plays but more of a shooter and also just winning puck battles and getting the puck over to guys and they create space. I do think that a more of an emphasis as Besser as a focal point of a line can bring the best out of him as well. So down the road, once he gets comfortable, I actually am very intrigued to see Besser play with Horvat and Pearson.
1: I agree with you on that. I, I see I see Besser and Tofoli with the way the other four in the top six are set up right now as as interchangeable mm-hmm. once healthy. Yeah. And and it's it's interesting. So Tanner Pearson said kind of right from the start, and this again, Ian McIntyre mentioned this with Murph, is that when Pearson was asked about, are you surprised Foley doesn't join you right away? He said, no, because it's a lot for a new guy to a new team, new system to then have to get that added responsibility when you're not quite comfortable yet of like, right. all right, plus you're going to have to start D zone all the time against the other team's top forwards. That's a lot, right? But it's almost, it's almost the inverse of that now because that would be the same for Besser coming back off injury. And But once Besser's healthy and once he shows he's 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 fine, then you can move those guys around based on who's really going, a little bit of chemistry night-to-night, matchups, however you might want to do it. Because I do agree that Brock has improved defensively and, and almost to the point where it's probably sacrificed his offense a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the other factor is, for the most part this year, he's been playing with an improved Pedersen and a way better left winger than he ever, like he ever has with the way Miller's playing. So it's a little bit less pressure on him to score, and he can do some of the other things.
0: Uh, We'll delve into a lot more as the Canucks pod goes on here. We'll talk about goaltending a little bit. How close could Jacob Markstrom be to a return? We're getting close to that two-week period uh, when the Canucks said they'll reevaluate him after he had a minor procedure, a lower body, which we believe is a knee procedure, could be related to his meniscus. We'll talk about that, Thatcher Demko's progression, and Alex Auld. Being back on the ice for the anthem wearing Canucks pads. We'll talk about that and ask Alex anything. That's all coming up right here on the Canucks pod on Sportsnet 650.
1: He was the calming presence of the net on a team that featured an aggressive all-out offense. The Canucks MVP in the 2006 season, Alex old.
0: What a moment! Seeing Alex Ald wearing the pads again, being on the ice with some former teammates—two 2000s night. Alex, it was nice seeing you out there, and I know uh, you can be one of those guys that really appreciates the moment. And you—one of the reasons we love you so much is because you care a lot. And it seemed like it meant a lot to you just being out there <laughs> on the ice. And I was—I was going was to say you got a little emotional afterwards, but I, you know what? It was just cool Did seeing I? you. Uh, did I get emotional afterwards? Not, not, not to the extent where you would, uh, you know. I just remember seeing you up at, um, we, with Ella, your beautiful daughter, right before we did the intermission hit. And you uh, were talking uh, about things. I saw your eyes glistening a little really? bit.
1: Really? No, that's just the bright lights, buddy. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, it's funny. Like, I didn't know how I'd feel. Mm-hmm. Um, emotions, for sure. There wasn't, I I am one, like, I'll cry at sad movies. Um. I know, sat. You're like this too. Any like animals in a movie? Oh. Like, oh man, why you got to ride that horse into war? It's not fair. I can't watch dog videos um, when I'm working because yeah.
0: who knows what might happen.
1: But I that it was it was more joy. It was yeah. it was happening. You know, it was really interesting. So really cool because a couple former teammates of mine, Brad May and and Brandon Morrison, we got to share that moment together. But we all kind of said the same thing, and and uh, most said it after. He's like, you know. I didn't know how I'd feel. And I actually didn't realize about like how cool it would be. Cause on one hand, it's like, yeah, oh, we've been out, been out from the Anthem for how many games, right? right? Like, and when you're playing, you quickly lose how cool that is because you're more of a worried about your preparation and making sure you're focused and not getting caught up in the moment. Cause you've got to be dialed into play. But it was interesting, like just being out on the ice and, and being there again, you're kind of like, all of a sudden I found my like kind of rocking on my feet. Like you got that nervous energy. Yeah. Afterwards, when we were getting un- un- undressed, like keep in mind, like we did nothing except walk from the dressing room out the Olympia tunnel, as they call it at Rogers Arena, um, and back, and skate what half a half an ice rink. That was it. <laughs> My shirt was sweating; like, I was wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My shirt wasn't sweat; I was sweating. My shirt was wet, and it was just like that—that that energy being out there and and the vibe of the crowd, and it was so cool. It was a full house, and like. There was a lot about it that was really, really cool.
0: Uh, It was. And one of the things that stood out to me, which you mentioned when we were talking before we jumped on TV during the first intermission with Dan Murphy on Sportsnet, was the fact that your kids really never got to truly see you do something like that. You know, because Sam was born in Boston, but he was really young. Ella really never saw you or can remember you playing or being on the ice in a moment like that.
1: Well, so, yeah, like my last year... Last year in the National Hockey League, uh, Sam was four or five. Like he, he knows. He knows he was at my last mm-hmm. NHL start. I don't think he really remembers yeah, it. Yeah, um, and he he says he can't remember it. And Ella was born the summer before my mm-hmm. last season in the NHL. I played one more year in Europe after that. But so obviously she wasn't remembering anything. So it was pretty. It was pretty cool for them to be able to be there and kind of see a little bit about it. But they they like some on Twitter were questioning it. Like, because yeah. <laughs> when we told them, well, first of all, this is how my kid's brain works. Right. <laughs> so my wife goes, uh, guess what we're, guess what we're doing on Friday night. Right away. My daughter's like, we're going to Italy. <laughs> no. That's what it used to. New York? <laughs> no. no. And then like, I forget what Sam said. Sam, Sam said something that was kind of not quite as dramatic as flying to Europe during a worldwide <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> but, um, he said something. And they're just like, no. And they were like, we're. We're just going to the Canucks game to watch daddy. Like, it was like nothing now all of a sudden, right? Like, because they were thinking they were going to go travel the world. But, uh, and their first question was, why? Like, (laughs) why why Why? are you going on the ice? Like, (laughs) why are they bringing you out? You have to remember, like, they don't. As much as Sam knows a bit about my career, he definitely does not think of me as a starting goalie. Mm-hmm. He thinks of me as like a career backup, Got which it. essentially I was, except for a short period of time. And so in Vancouver, yeah, yeah, and like so, it's it's not it's not even in his mind that that would be something they would do for me. And the other thing is is that they they're really good friends with Daniel Sedin's kids. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's they, like they <laughs> to them, it's like you celebrate. That type of player, not this type of player. It's, It's amazing how honest your own kids can be. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs>
0: it's great. But I thought it was cool to see you out there. And, you know, people ask us, like, Brendan Morrison, Brad May, Alex, all I mean, You were the MVP. I know we joke about that during the 05-06 year. But you're also the starting goalie And uh, in, in, in the playoff realm when Kluchy got hurt. You guys just barely lost to the Calgary Flames in Game 7. We all remember the late goal Matt Cook scores, Jovanovski losing his mind. And quickly before uh, we get to current goaltending for the Canucks, that moment, because that was your last playoff start for the Canucks, how and i know you have talked about it in the past but how different or how wide-ranging were the emotions of tying the game that late and then obviously what happened in overtime
1: massive swing and and keep in mind what occurred in game 6 yeah. right so just 2 days before in calgary we were we were up 4-0 at one point we let a 4-0 lead slip away uh, the saddle dome when they scored the fourth goal to tie it was that's the loudest i feel like the saddle dome Maybe it was because it was like the negative feelings, the right. Saddle Dome felt louder then than Rogers Arena felt. Or I guess it was GM place at the time, but then then the rink in Vancouver felt when we tied it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because of the emotions I was feeling. So there's this wide swing and then obviously tying it up late when I'm on the bench was was absolutely crazy and then yeah, the whole every I mean every remembers Jovo in the box realizing that uh we still had to kill the penalty, and, and we almost got through the penalty kill in overtime, like so many things about it, the ups and downs of uh, that whole that whole playoff series, really. But for me, those last couple of games was was crazy. Um, so you, you've got my probably my greatest greatest Vancouver memory uh, winning game six in, in triple overtime in Calgary, and, and Brendan Morrison scoring the winning goal on, on Mika Kiprasov, and then you've got this absolutely crushing – defeat 2 days later after so much positive energy right when when cookies tied it so it was a real roller coaster that that's for sure it was a t- it was a strange couple of weeks
0: well, I mean, it's interesting because Thatcher Demko's not going through the same uh, emotional swings, but it has been an emotional couple of weeks for him being thrust into the starting position for the Canucks and did not start off great. We talked about the Montreal uh, game where, you know, he did bear things down. They won. Not great in Ottawa. We all know what happened in Toronto as well. But his last couple of starts, well, last three starts, really, against Arizona, he wasn't the issue. The Canucks, they lose another third period lead. It wasn't him. He was pretty good against the Avs and against Columbus. He was solid again. Goaltending isn't what's costing the Canucks right now.
1: No, it's not. So, and this is what I believe is: as le- as long as he's giving the team a chance to win, mm-hmm. at some point he's going to be the difference on the positive side, right? And, and so, the problem is, is that if you struggle too much, then your confidence goes down to the point where you're maybe not capable of stealing a game he's playing well enough now that it wouldn't surprise me if in one of the next couple of games he's the reason they get a win um, and it's not like what happened against Colorado where there's just so much offense that eventually you're gonna you're gonna uh, pick up the W so I like the way damco's playing and and as you know that to me and the biggest difference between the year I went in and had to play a lot and this year is that I sort of had more time to settle into it before mm-hmm. the, the playoff pressure really kicked up and I, I look that's the other thing I look back at that year my last year here was like we were decimated by injuries this team is now it's it's a different scenario we were without our three of our top six well really no our top three d-man after the olympics on uh for quite a long stretch that was really tough to overcome but you've got to just stay focused in the moment and really just worry about what you can control because i look back at that time i don't i don't think i realized how important Matthias Sol and Sammy Salo yeah. and Ed Jovanovsky were, because it was just like, well, next man up. We still right. got to get the job done. But I look back on it now. I'm like, what were we even, why do we even dress? Like, why do we even go <laughs> on the ice? What are we, how are we going to do this, right. you know? And, if, you know, for the Canucks and for Demko specifically, you've just got to focus on your details, focus on what you can control, and just try and kind of take care of your own universe. And he's done just enough. And... You know, it has to come back to the team in front of him being a lot
0: better. We went through that uh, to a large extent in the first segment of the show. And as far as Jacob Markstrom, it's been a few weeks now, but I don't think as much as we're sitting here and talking about is going to be back soon. I still think it's going to be a couple weeks for Jacob Markstrom. I don't. I mean, I can't come out and say for sure. Uh, he's at least a couple weeks away. But I think that timeline, instead of three to four weeks, maybe on the four weekend, maybe a little bit longer coming off the meniscus um, surgery, which it seems like it was, you know, the team hasn't come out and said it officially, but that's what uh, we gather it was. So that help's not really coming anytime soon. It may be the final week or so of March, maybe April, and that's barely enough time to get a couple of games in before the playoffs. So right now, it is pretty much Thatcher Demko's job for the rest of this month. That's how it's got to be approached.
1: Well, you have to approach that way until, until Markstrom's back. And you also look at it, I mean, it, again, I love, I love the discussion of the decisions because there is a scenario you could paint where he's maybe only back for a couple games and they're must-win games and he hasn't played and who mm-hmm. do you go to? Like, you that's yeah, a yeah. tough decision too, right? Yeah. I'll I'll say this, like I I look at Markstrom and and again, not knowing what's going on, I look at it more from the signs of what we do know. What we do know is he's not skating. Mm-hmm. So, he's at least a certain amount of time from that point of view. And so when you when you have that going on, it's like how much time does he need? There's going to be sort of the the pain tolerance factor and making sure that everything mechanically is fine there's pain tolerance but then there's also being sharp and feeling like you can go out there and actually compete at the highest level and that decision is going to come down to to markstrom and the coaching staff and and doctors obviously and the the medical staff you can guarantee that they're just itching to get him back but at the same time you you got to make sure he's he's healthy and and you look at it too like this is a guy who's got more career he's going to want to play and he's got a contract Mm -hmm. he wants to sign And so you've got to balance all of those factors. Yeah,
0: you do. And I just kind of view it as if you're hoping that Markstrom comes back, hey, it's great to hope. I'm not going to sit here and tell you not to be optimistic. Realistically speaking, you have to kind of approach, even as a fan, that Markstrom's not going to be back anytime soon, even if he is back. You know, what can he provide right away? How willing is he to play based on his injury, his contract situation? A lot of balls in the air when it comes to Jacob Markstrom and as optimistic as we are for the return of other players like Brock Besser. The Markstrom one, I'm not holding my breath for the next week or so. Aldi, all right, before we get out, let's get to Ask Alex Anything.
1: Ask Alex Anything! Um, uh, I forgot my question.
0: All right, Aldi, uh, let's just go through all these questions, a lot of good ones. Uh, Baked Potato
1: on Twitter says, do you hoard toilet paper? Not usually, but right now I, I have a couple extra couple extra rolls, so you don't get left uh I, you know it's it's funny like this this feels like it's last week's topic, yeah, um, the only reason I say that is because first I heard of it was last week um, <laughs> driving the kids to school, listening to uh, kiss radio or a sister station um and they were talking about it, and I was like, really, what's going on and, I, and then and I happened to drive by a Safeway and I pulled <laughs> in, and this is the crazy thing to me. the shelves were empty except one brand, and it was half price. And know, it was. I got to get a few, a you few know, packs. Take advantage of it. Yeah, you know. and then then the lady kind of chirped me for buying so many. I'm like, why you got you got them on sale? So not only am I like going to be able to poop and <laughs> wipe, I'm getting a great deal. So, so it I, out for you. yeah, I'm going to double down on this. So uh, you, double down on the two ply So, so I guess
0: I, mean? <laughs> I guess you answered Brockhard's question: How much toilet paper do you have at home right now?
1: Well, so we got I got four packs of twelve. So I know you're not a math major, but that's 48. Wow, that's and. A lot. Uh, not that many rolls. I mean, it's not... It should li- well, I mean, it is a family well, of four. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, yeah. I got a 12-year-old son. Yeah. yeah, Are you saying kids? Never mind. <laughs> he just, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, and then, I f- so, I mean, that's not, it's not it's, that's not Wait, a lot. I know you hate
0: putting the toilet paper the other way. Like, it's like, if you ever meet somebody that does that, run out the building. But is that actually a good thing to do to conserve toilet paper in a shortage?
1: It doesn't conserve toilet paper. It just makes me angry. Because oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it
0: is harder. I mean, it doesn't roll off as I easy. I can't get it. I can't.
1: I'm too tall. <laughs> I can't get underneath there. <laughs> the reach, reach, work on that reach.
0: reach uh, steep. Uh, Hugdini at Canucks Canuck for Cup says, "How much toilet paper will I need to survive the coronavirus?" I don't know. No. All how right. How much do you eat? Uh, Kevin at uh, Canucks PD. Do you have IBS? I don't know. I don't know. It depends. Uh, at how, Canuck- long th-
1: how long is how long is this? I don't know what's going on.
0: At Canucks PD twenty, Kevin. If I stock up on an on enough TP, can we build a fort together?
1: No, no. All right. I was trying to think of something s- stupid to say, but just yeah. No. Uh, a row at uh, Deke. Do you remember D- that on, on Friends though, when they made the fort out of was it boxes? Do you remember that?
0: Was it box? I think it was boxes. And like
1: yeah. they, I feel like I don't know someone. I feel like the girls walked in the door, and then all of a sudden, like Joey like pops up, and Ross and Chandler right. pop up above the fort. <laughs> So no, 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 no TP for it. Uh, no TP. Uh, basketball.
0: Phil. Lakers versus Clippers. Who wins and in how many games in the fi- in the NBA playoffs? That's your uh,
1: yours. I, I saw right. that you wanted to be the one to answer. Well, I said it's we like, will no, answer. Uh, it. Alex doesn't know anything about basketball. I'm going to answer it.
0: I didn't say that, but I mean I was I wasn't I was care. I just don't care. I wasn't implying. It. Well, uh, on Sunday night, the Lakers and Sunday afternoon, Lakers and Cl- Clippers played. You know. Full disclosure, I am a Lakers fan, but I think the Lakers beat the Clippers. Davis and LeBron, too big of a matchup for the Clippers to handle. The the size they have, the defensive play, despite not hitting a lot of threes, they could dominate the game down low, and especially defensively, as good as Kawhi is, I'm
1: going with the Lakers. All right, so you should start a basketball podcast, and then the next question.
0: All right, sounds good. Uh, At Mike Versace one do you think Marcus Naslin is available for another We Choked speech this year? No. He's already been here once. He's not coming yeah, back I don't yeah. think he's coming back. Uh, numbers asked about Markstrom's return. We mentioned that. Uh, that I'm not sure about it. Uh, it's been over two weeks that he's going to be back soon. But he has another question saying, re-sign TANF plus asset from Stetcher trade. Let Tanev walk no asset plus resign Stetcher. Re-sign Foley plus asset for Vertanen trade conditional fourth. Let Tofoli walk no asset plus resign sign Vertanen and conditional fourth. So this is very much muddled. So two ways to go about it. <laughs> Would you rather re-sign Tanov and, an oh, okay. well, I mean, right. okay. and get an asset for Stetcher? would you rather? would you rather. Okay. Well, not what it's says, what that's what i that's what with. Would you with. Would you Tanov re-sign an asset get an or let Tanov walk with no walk the <laughs> re-sign hypothetical and
1: What's co- sign what the What's the say Let's say third round pick. Hypothetical the scenarios, and the the I got to see more info. What's the info. Uh, what the the you the guys on the the asset back? the you know, I'll say this.
0: What allows you to have more depth? As much as I like how Chris Tannum's played and been healthy, he's also 30, and I am terrified of giving him a contract after his healthiest season forever, and he's hitting his 30s, and he's a warrior, but I, I'm really scared of giving of an extension. Like I'm I'm leaning on, I would thank say, you for what you've yeah. done. We appreciate you. We love everything about you. We're going to go in a different direction. Yeah,
1: especially, and then you look at the right side, and you yeah. look at how long they're married to Myers, I... You've yeah, got to be really careful with you the gotta next go, contract. You get to a defenseman. you got to go younger. Yeah. You go younger.
0: Uh, resign Toffoli uh, and plus an asset for Tannen trade, or let Toffoli walk with no asset and resign Tannen. Would you rather keep Toffoli and trade
1: Tannen, or let Toffoli walk and keep Vertanen? This is why I'm so bad at these things because I need I need more context. Again, yeah. I um I like Toffoli a lot. Yeah, I like Jake a lot. It depends what you're getting them on, what kind of contract you're getting them for. And what the other asset is. I'm, so yeah. I'm I,
0: leaning uh, sign to Foley as long as the contract makes sense and then sell high on Vertanen. That's how I would lean.
1: Blue Collar Brigade. Who's the biggest beauty on the Canucks right now? I would have no way of knowing. No. I don't. You don't know the beauties unless you're in the room. Mm, that's like. That's fair. And now media aren't even allowed in the room. No, we're not. Only uh, on the podium.
0: Yeah. Podium coverage. Jt Miller might be the biggest beauty, maybe right
1: now. Miller's a beauty.
0: Might be. I, d- I just I don't know. You What's don't know.
1: beauty? What's beauty status?
0: I mean, I mean, if you're going just with handsome, it is Brock Besser. But if you're going like you know, no just one, he, no
1: one says who's the biggest beauty, like exactly. and asking like on looks because everyone can see that. Who's who's a chirper? Who isn't? I mean, Roussel is pretty funny. He's a beauty. To some agree. All
0: right. Uh, add Jordy, add Jordan Savage, 87. Why do you think Benning was so confident with this D group coming into the deadline by not going out and adding more depth to the blue line?
1: Part, part of it, I think, is that it's kind of all relative and mm-hmm. relative to the rest of his tenure here that they, they, they're all like a bunch of Norris winners. But it's they have more depth. They're defensively. They're better. I think the other aspect too is, is that there's a couple guys who maybe haven't been performing at the level where they would have liked, but I, you know, I, I do believe that the staff thinks that they can get more from Ben and Fantenberg. Like I think that they can do more, Mm -hmm. but the interesting thing about it too, is it could also be a little bit about the, what it would have taken to improve the D like, is it, is it worth just swapping a guy in and out and essentially getting someone you view the same? Probably not. And the other factor, and it's this is a this is a tough one because Jim isn't exactly the guy to to play the uh, play the game in terms of oh I'm going to say this because of that like he seems very honest he seems almost too revealing, but are you going to go and say this these are the guys we're going with and then be like oh we were trying so hard to upgrade on these bums but we couldn't do it like maybe he was trying
0: yeah. I don't know well, I think they were trying but.
1: Just didn't come together. It's be and the also, right the costs to the assets. What do you have to give up? And, and how much and, more do you
0: want to yeah. put out for rental potentially? Uh, that Thomas guy on Twitter, Tom, is a successful season playing meaningful games in March. Or given the cushion they had built, will missing the playoffs be considered a failure? Could the swoon put Travis Green's job in jeopardy?
1: I will say that it could be both. Yeah, I think long term, playing meaningful games in March mm-hmm. and missing the playoffs could be deemed as a success. But I also I believe that if, if the team falls off and doesn't make the playoffs, that there's potentially a lot of people at risk. Oh. And it, it could go beyond the coach. And, so, mm-hmm. and the reality is is that it's big picture in terms of the development curve of these guys. Like it's, it's been a step. You, c- you can't argue with that, but that doesn't mean it's been enough. And so you can look at that a couple of different ways. A
0: uh, couple of questions here before we get out quickly. North Van Nate, has the team lost or failed to build
1: an identity this season? Have they lost an identity, or, or have failed? failed to
0: build an identity?
1: Well, every every team has an identity. It just may not be one you want. I, right. I think the identity is they're inconsistent. Yeah, and and that's that's not an identity you want. So that's not something where they're going out. So they failed to build something that's repeatable, sustainable, repeat, sustainable yeah. repeatable, and works. And that to me is is again where they're not quite at the level you want to be at. But that that could change, and all of a sudden, a really good stretch of games five game win streak or like picking up points in 8 of 7 or 8 of 10 could all of a sudden just oh yeah that solidifies what it is we need to do because that's also what we were doing when we had some other good stretches and then that builds and and we've seen from other teams in the past that just go on hot runs at the end of the year and then have deep playoff pushes that you can just a little bit of confidence and momentum can help just define that identity
0: two more quickly Stefano at the Wild Wolf the Canucks will make the playoffs because fill in the blank because Demko steps up to me like it's, it's going to come down to goaltending. I think uh, t- to some degree I agree. I also think limit critical mistakes and start scoring goals again. That That's would good.
1: help. Yeah. Uh, goals for and goals against.
0: It's that that, that differential <laughs> will get you. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ashley Pirhonen, if you can choose if you can choose claws or hands, what would you pick to put an end the end of your arms If you can't choose Claws or hands What would you pick To put on the end Of your arms Okay hold. Well, if
1: you aren't allowed To use Claws or hands Yes I'd have uh, Maybe a hook On one side <laughs> Can I I would I would switch it up I yeah. wouldn't double down I wouldn't go two Of the same thing right, I'd have something problem. For for fighting And something for biting I don't know <laughs> I thought you'd say A glove and a, and a blocker <laughs> Sure Why not But they go in hand, like Hands go in them They go Hand but hand you know hand. what I mean? I would I would do a complimentary pair of something. <laughs> well, Aldi, uh, it's been a fun edition
0: of the Canucks pod, and also Ask Alex Anything. We couldn't get to all your questions. Uh, thanks for sending him in. We look forward to chatting again next week. A remember, smoke and a toothpick. A and a toothpick, yes. Uh, remember, rate, subscribe, review the pod on Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcatchers. We look forward to hearing from you again. And again, if you have any questions for Alex Ald. Or myself, Satyar Shah. Hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, if you have basketball ones, send us up. Well. Yeah, at Satyar Shah, at Alex J. Ald on Twitter. And keep sending in the hashtag AskAlexAnything questions. We'll just throw them in when we get them. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Canucks Pod on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
1: But when Harry wouldn't sell, you got desperate. Hired yourself a punk.